You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey of the Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, today, I want to start out by reminding you that there is a site called wealthformula.com where you get all sorts of goodies, such as downloads and free books, including Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which I consider my Wealth 1.0 a starter book that you can simply also text me, 44222, and type Wealth Formula, one word, and you will get that in your inbox. Um, also, at wealthformula.com, it's an opportunity to sign up for what we call Investor Club. Investor Club, of course, is the home base for the accredited investors of Wealth Formula. And what is an accredited investor, you ask? Well, an accredited investor is nothing more than somebody who makes $200,000 a year, $300,000 if filing jointly, or has a net worth of $1 million outside of their personal residence. So in other words, to become accredited, you don't actually do anything. You either are or you are not, sort of like being pregnant. Does that describe you or not? And if it does describe you, the good news is that the world is opening up to you, the world of private investments and private placements where the rich really make their money. So go ahead and check that out. If that describes you, if you're an accredited investor, go to wealthformula.com and join Investor Club. We'd love to have you. Lots of things going on there that will help you to take that lazy money and put it to work once and for all. I do also want to point out that I would like you to mark your calendars the next Wealth Formula in-person meetup and uh, lecture day, etc., uh, will be on September 27th and 28th, I believe. It's a Friday and Saturday. It's going to be in Dallas. And I want to make sure, for those of you who are diehards, uh, who want to make sure that you can join up, that you get an opportunity to mark it on your calendar and don't make other plans. Um, you know, uh, again, yeah, that is sep September 27th and 28th. And we might actually add an extra day to that. Uh, on the front end for some other optional type activities. But it's going to be in Dallas again. Uh, Dallas, um, uh, it was in Scottsdale last time, but this time we're going to do it in Dallas so that we can get some of our East Coast folks out because Phoenix is a long way. I know, I know. Um, I was coming from Santa Barbara, so of course Phoenix is like an hour and makes it really easy. But Dallas is in the middle of the country. Dallas is where we own a lot of property within Investor Club. So we're going to spend some time driving around those, looking at those. But we're also going to have a lecture series. And for those of you who came to the Scottsdale event, you know the biggest part of this is just meeting each other. And uh, we have probably the most extraordinary uh, podcast listenership of all. I truly believe that. Um, and, uh, and hopefully you will see it for yourself. Uh, if you can't make the live events, there is also the Wealth Formula Network, which you can join, which is our private group. Go to wealthformula.com or wealthformularoadmap.com. And, uh, it's a course that's also uh, linked to, uh, our, our private Facebook group and also our biweekly mastermind calls, which people really enjoy. So check that out. Uh, as for today's show, it'll be um, it'll it's a familiar face you're going to see today. Um, we were going to talk to my guest today in Wealth Formula podcast is George Newberry. Now, George is a guy who knows a lot about debt. You know, debt. 
Let's go back to debt and talk a little bit about that. You know, debt is like a lethal weapon. It can be used for good, and it can be used for greed, right? You know that you, you thought I was going to say bad, but, well, it is kind of bad. But it can be used for good, or it can be used for greed, right? It can be used to create wealth, and it can be used to destroy it, right? In short, debt is nothing more than a tool. The problem with any tool is that a fool with a tool is still a fool. So debt gets a bad name because of this. But the reality is that in skilled hands, debt can be used to create unlimited wealth. In Investor Club, we use debt to create extraordinary strategies like infinite returns. We use it for wealth formula banking, Velocity Plus, all of these extremely powerful strategies we use with the purpose of utilizing debt to create wealth. However, debt is also unfortunately the opioid of the poor who often use it to pay their bills so that, you know, when you don't have a paycheck coming in and you got a little bit of credit, you're going to use it. Uh, And in situations like that, debt can be absolutely devastating. That said, debt is like a loaded gun with good intention. Sometimes debt can explode at unexpected times and create unexpected casualties. That's why it's always important to respect it and fear it just a little bit. You know, it's kind of like those people, people who drive motorcycles. You might be a person driving a motorcycle. I'm personally not one of them. Why? Because I used to be in the neurosurgery uh, business. And we used to say in neurosurgery that motorcycles are there to keep us in business. Anyway, uh, debt is sort of like, you know, using debt is sort of like driving a motorcycle. You have to respect it. And if you don't, if you just, you know, lose that respect for a second, it can take you down in a flash. And, you know, the reality is that many smart entrepreneurs have experienced this firsthand. You've gone through that painful process where you've used debt the way you're supposed to to build a business. And the next thing you know, boom, you maybe you over leverage or maybe you just, you know, You just got caught in a situation that you never thought you would be. And all of a sudden, good debt goes bad. And, you know, George Newberry is one of those guys. Uh, He is a serial entrepreneur, one of the smartest entrepreneurs I've ever met. Um, And using debt at a young age, he was worth millions of dollars as a real estate entrepreneur. Uh, You can read about this book in his uh, read about this in his book, Burn Zones. Then one day it suddenly went south and came tumbling down. Literally, an act of nature took down his entire empire, and debt made it even worse. A lesser entrepreneur might have been wiped out for good by that whole thing that George went through, but not George. Not only did he overcome the debt, but he built an entire career based on it, and he's got a fantastic insight on it now. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Debt is a big part of getting rich. Learning about it is the key to becoming wealthy. And that's why we got George Newberry on the show. And he'll be with us right after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest in Wealth Formula Podcast is, well, he's a guy who has been on the show four times now. That is a new record for Wealth Formula Podcast. His name is George Newberry. He's a friend of mine and one of my favorite entrepreneurs. Uh, you may know him best as the guy behind 
American Home Owner Preservation initially, what is now called AHP Servicing, and he remains chairman of that company today. In the meantime, though, in true serial entrepreneur form, he's found another problem to solve, and it relates to the area of bad debt, and he's going to tell us all about it today. George, welcome back to Wealth Formula Podcast. Hey, I appreciate you having me back. Uh, Buck, and uh, I'm glad to hear I, uh, my my guests or parents are sec- setting a record pace. It is record pace. There's nobody else who's been on four times, uh, but uh, but you know you were you were there at the very beginning. So even even before there were listeners, I don't think you knew <laughs> that there were no listeners. But you came on this show, but that ended up being a good uh, good relationship overall. So so I'm Agreed. glad you could join us here uh, a couple years later. Um, so I want to talk, uh, we're, we're going to talk about some of your new stuff here, you know. Um, so in the last decade or so, uh, you've really built a career based on bad debt, right? I mean, first of it, first of all, it was with HP Servicing, which is a fund that, you know, buys non-performing notes. Um, and now, now you got debt cleanse. I mean, these are all sort of in this world. And of course, there's a reason for that. Because you're an entrepreneur and entrepreneurs tend to look for opportunities in whatever predicament they find themselves. Um, And yours was, of course, outlined in your book, Burn Zones, which a number of people have read. But for those of us, for those who have not, give us some of the cliff notes on that to sort of put your life in perspective that got you on this uh, in the debt industry. Yeah, it wasn't what I set out to do, Uh, Hmm. but in roughly... uh, on Christmas Eve 2004, I owned over 4,000 apartments across the country, and uh, an ice storm hit my largest holding, which was the 1,100-unit Woodland Meadows Apartments in Columbus, Ohio, and it triggered this extraordinary sequence of events in which I lost everything and ended up $26 million in debt. Now. I never filed bankruptcy. Instead, I noticed that one of my creditors made an error and I sued him and it went to to court. I won. They appealed and the Missouri Court of Appeals ended up um, issuing their decision that the creditor had inadvertently extinguished a $5.6 million debt and I didn't have to pay. Now, this was a turn. I know it was for, for me at the time when I was in a severe predicament, uh, it was a uh, a turning point because what I did after that, I was thinking, well, if this creditor made this type of modest error on this huge debt, which extinguished it. I wonder about all of my other creditors. So I went back and, and I found repeatedly that creditors were making mistakes, small and large uh, errors. And these were done by small and large banks. So George, talk about some of those errors, because uh, I'm just curious, you know, it piques my interest. Like what, in the case of this, you know, $5 million, $6 million loan, first of all, was that, that was recourse debt? That was not, I mean, you were taking all guaranteed loans for all this uh, real estate? Yeah, most of this was personal guarantees. And that $5.6 million was personally guaranteed. And even better, it was secured by an apartment built, by two apartment buildings, in fact. And one of them, uh, I ended up, they had to release the mortgage on it. And it was a 200 and some unit apartment building in Oklahoma City. They had to release it, meaning that you were debt free from that? Yeah, I actually, they threatened to appeal again. Uh, and so they agreed to take t- 
$225,000, which is less than five cents on the dollar on a, on a mortgage secured by a, an apartment building worth millions of dollars. That's unbelievable. So, so in the case of the, let's talk about some of the errors that you run into with these creditors, just as an example, because I think the story is fascinating. What, in this case, with the five million, what did they do wrong? Okay, this one's kind of complicated, but kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> so follow closely. Uh, so this one, when I, I bought this property in Oklahoma City, maybe 2002 or three, somewhere around there. And the, um, the property was in, as always, was in disarray, which is, I always buy the, the most challenged properties. So this creditor said, okay, we're going to make you a loan and call it $5 million on, um, on this property. We, you have to get up, give us security, uh, blanket the loan with another property that's in good shape, that's cash flowing and whatnot. So I said, okay, uh, I'll give you this other property in Kansas City. So they, they made the loan secured by a first mortgage on this property in Oklahoma City that was troubled and a second mortgage on a property in Kansas City that was cash flowing and in good shape. Now, the, it was a second mortgage and there was a first mortgage from Wells Fargo. So there really wasn't that much equity, maybe a million dollars in equity at most in the Kansas City property. Uh, so the real equity was in Oklahoma City. Now, after the Woodland Meadows fiasco, uh, I ended up in trouble on all my properties. And so the lender started foreclosure on both properties at the same time. And in Missouri, it's a non-judicial foreclosure, which basically means that the creditor does not have to go to court. And as a result, that foreclosure went very, very fast. They also started foreclosure in Oklahoma, which is a judicial foreclosure state. They need to go to court. It moves very, very slow. Uh, so they started foreclosure in Missouri and within a couple of months, they were holding the sale. And I remember the sale because I sent out, I sent out um, a representative uh, with a, um, a $10,000 cashier's check. And I thought they were gonna bid some modest amount, you know, maybe up to a hundred. I was prepared to pay a hundred thousand dollars and they were, they showed up. And so my guy starts the bidding and he goes $10,000 and then the attorney for the creditor says $5.6 million and whatever change. Uh, and so obviously that was the end of the bidding, they won. But here's the theory, is that a creditor can use their debt to bid on a, on a, at a foreclosure auction, but if they use all their debt, that means the debt is gone. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what they should have done is bid like a million dollars and then they'd still have $4.6 million due on the Oklahoma City property. But instead, they bid the full $5.6 million. They owned the property in Missouri. So I lost that. This was a big bank? This was like, or this was like a local bank or what? It was a, a commercial credit, creditor. It's a company called Vestin Mortgage, V-E-S-T-I-N. They were, they were publicly traded at the time. It's funny oh. if you know them. Yeah. No, no, I don't know them. I just think it's funny that you're. Yeah, it's publicly traded. So they were decent size, but they just took a beating on that one. I mean, the actual, the court decision. So what happened is then I realized it. I didn't realize it right away. I just said, dang, yeah, I lost that. And then that night I was running to kind of release some stress and it popped in my mind. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, I came across like this realization. I called my attorney and said, hey, I think they made a mistake. And he said, no, you're right. They did make a mistake. We went to court and in Missouri um, 
and we ended up winning and then it went to the Missouri Court of Appeals. So how did you think of that? I mean, you're not an attorney, but I mean, did you read something or was it like, how does it make sense that they pledged money that they are? Yeah. So yeah, that wouldn't most, I, you know, that happened 10 times. Uh, I would say that uh, nine people would miss it and probably half the time I would miss it. It just happened uh, that I had had a similar situation maybe 10 years ago. Uh, I ran a mortgage company and there was, the situation doesn't come up so much with the uh, elements that I just described, but it does happen is if you use all your debt to bid on a property and there's insurance proceeds, uh, that's what happens very often. So let's say a, a, a home is damaged by a fire and it's a $20,000 loss. And then the bank comes in and forecloses and bids all their debt. Now they do that, if they bid all their debt, they are not entitled to the insurance proceeds. Uh, but if they bid all their debt minus 20,000, they are entitled to the insurance proceeds. And that has come up a lot in court. So that's the situation that I had been involved in. So that's why I remembered, uh, but I would say that most people um, would not recognize that. But, and knowing that, you know, over time I said, I, I uh, you know, as fast forward to Declan's today, you know, the, 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 the vision became, hey, how do we create kind of a checklist of all these potential mistakes that a creditor can make? So when you run into a, when you run into a situation where you're unable to pay, you can kind of look to where the creditor could have, have made a mistake. Otherwise, it's just different attorneys, me, you know, kind of debtors um, coming up with random, you know, hey, this might work. And uh, so I wanted to make it a formula. So um, I think the moral of the story is, and I think this is uh, this is really powerful, is if you get into trouble and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Uh, you you need to make sure that you have all the paperwork and that make sure that that's where even the big banks, the big institutions, or whatever, make a little bit of mistake, and then they you know they could end up not being able to recover money from you, right? And I mean, that's sort of the moral of the story. Absolutely. It can be tremendous. As soon as they make a mistake, that can be tremendous leverage to utilize uh, to uh, arrive at a discounted settlement. So they'll discount their position rather than litigating the error that they made. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your um, view on debt in general. First of all, uh, let me ask you before that, you never filed bankruptcy. Why? Because I think a lot of people in your situation would file bankruptcy. Tell us exactly kind of what bankruptcy is, because most people on this sh listening to this show are not generally people who have filed bankruptcy um, or have had to even think about it. But what exactly is bankruptcy and why didn't you do that? Sure. So bankruptcy is a is a court function, a judicial uh, process, which you can uh, relieve your debts. And relieve is kind of a broad term. Uh, there's, there's multiple different types of bankruptcies. One would be a chapter seven, which not everyone will qualify for. Uh, generally, if you have limited, limited or no assets, limited or no income, you can qualify for chapter seven, which allows you to uh, completely extinguish your debts through, as you go through the process. At the end of the bankruptcy process, all your debts are gone. Now, if they're secured by a car or more or a, a home, those are things that, that will not typically be um, discharged in bankruptcy. And uh, so when you have a house or a car and you have uh, any kind of significant income or assets, 
then you're oftentimes end up doing a chapter 13. The chapter 13 is a monthly payment plan. Um, generally doesn't work out that well for the people who file. Instead, it works out pretty well for the bankruptcy attorneys because they usually get paid first before anybody. And what happens so many times is that someone will decide, okay, I'm filing a chapter 13. They will pay the fees and then over time, they'll follow up, they will be unable to make the payments, complete the plan and make the payments to the creditors. In fact, over 66% of bankruptcy chapter 13 filings are not completed. That means the people don't complete making the payments. And so now they're even worse off because now they are, they paid you know, several thousand dollars to an attorney in court costs to file this bankruptcy. And now they're back to where they are. All the creditors is, are, are do what they're, what they were due before, plus additional late fees and court costs and all that. So I'm not a big advocate. There's one more, just so you know, chapter 11 is a, is a business bankruptcy. But again, a business bankruptcy looks to be very, very expensive um, for businesses. You have to appoint a trustee on, on both the chapter 13 and the chapter uh, 11. And you know, people say, oh, I filed bankruptcy, like that's everything goes. And it's really not. It ends up sometimes opening up um, more problems uh, than it's worth. And I'll tell you, you know, I've, I'll tell you what my hesitations are. You know, if you have bad credit, you just don't pay up debt and it shows up in your credit, it can stay on there for seven years. If you file bankruptcy, it's going to stay on there for 10 years. So it's almost 50% more. Uh, so if you're an entrepreneur, like most of your listeners are, and they do kind of find themselves in a predicament uh, because something doesn't work out and they end up filing bankruptcy, they will be kind of in the credit penalty box for 10 years. If you don't pay your, uh, if you just don't pay stuff, then you're out for, uh, for seven years. But another thing is repeatedly, if you ever have to, if you apply for a job, if you apply for a license, if you are trying to get approved uh, for some kind of government program, many times they're gonna ask you, have you or any companies you've ever been involved with filed bankruptcy? Uh, and I can rightfully say no, because I never have. But they, they rarely do they ask, have you or ever your companies not paid their bills? They just, it's just not a question on there. So, so, so you, how did you know this though? I mean, how did you know not to do this? Cause I think like the reflex most people would have. is to file bankruptcy. Yeah. I mean, especially maybe not even the personal side, but say if you've got a business, um, you know, I, I've talked about having a failing business recently and it, it did occur to me at one point, um, maybe it makes sense to file a, you know, business. So this was a, uh, something that uh, business back in Chicago. And, um, and so, but you, you said no. And, um, and I think there was lots of good reason for that. Um, but even for a business not to do that, how would you, how did you know that? How did you know it would be better off? I'm curious. Well, I, I have to say it wasn't an easy decision. I actually talked to a bankruptcy attorney. They prepared all the paperwork. I was on my way to drive to, to go and sign it and I, I just couldn't do it. It seemed like I was admitting failure and um, you know, I kind of thought I'd rebound faster than I did um, and I just, I couldn't do it. Um, yeah. And, but it ended up being the right thing. I mean, there were other reasons not to file bankruptcy. I had, I lost, I had a huge uh, loss that I reported on my Irish tax returns. I had over a $20 million loss, which I've been able to carry forward and use as an offset against future tax gains. And my accountant at the time said, if you file bankruptcy, that, that loss carried forward goes, is, is, goes to zero. So you, you have nothing. So actually, if you go $20 million, and most people have less, but it's still usually oftentimes a significant amount, 
that's a loss that you can uh, offset your future uh, income against uh, and ta tax again in most cases. So that is a big asset. Of, it's not really listed as an asset, but in many respects, that is an sure, asset that you sure. lose if you file bankruptcy. Right. Also, most entrepreneurs, I think, also would face this. Um, and I think you, you would be in this position that if you file bankruptcy, you're kind of making the statement that, hey, these are all my assets. These are all my liabilities. But so many entrepreneurs have all kinds of like different interests and different businesses, you know, little interests here. They partnered on something, they invest on something. And if you list all that, um, if you forget to list something, A, that's a problem because you've now misrepresenting what your assets are. And so I, I always thought, you know, I still, I still was trying to hustle and get things back on track. And so I did have little things going here and there and I'd have to kind of give all those up. So that was another reason where yeah, yeah. I, I just didn't want to do it. So um, l let me ask you this through this, obviously you were a real estate uh, investor, very successful um, sort of real estate. You're basically flipping big buildings. You were doing it with your own money. There was a huge amount of money that you were, um, you know, you were worth at one point. Um, when when you think about it now, do you have a perspective? You know, people talk about good debt and bad debt. I certainly talk about that. Do you believe that there's any kind of good debt? Yeah, I mean, when I was building my my empire, I took out loans. I mean, I, I didn't have any partners, but I took out debt from banks and that was good. I wanted, I wanted more debt to build my portfolio. And that was, uh, so it was helpful um, to the point at which, you know, I, uh, you know, what the natural disaster occurred and I wasn't able to pay everything back. But I, so I, you know, if there's debt that you can afford, use for business purposes, use as a means to, you know, improve your life circumstances, certainly that can be good. Um, but there is bad debt, definitely. And I would call that, I would, call this, um, especially on the consumer level, where there's predatory uh, debt products that are created by Wall Street that are marketed uh, in a predatory fashion uh, to, to Americans. And this would be uh, things like payday loans, just terrible for businesses, merchant cash advances, just terrible. Uh, there are a lot of subprime auto product, uh, auto loan products where, you know, buy here, pay here. You see those buy here, pay here um, signs that these, these car lots uh and although you're buying the lot the car there and you're paying it oftentimes those loans are are packaged up and securitized and sold on wall street so you really think you're paying the local dealer but really you're paying wall street you know some wall street affiliated fund uh so those are and this these are products you know oftentimes the rates are 18 percent, 20 percent high origination fees and those things, I would say, are absolutely bad debt. A lot of the subprime mortgage products that came out in the um, in the '90s and the 2000s, bad debt. Uh, and 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 uh, I think the list goes on. Uh, there, there's a lot of bad uh, bad debt type yeah. products, and they take yeah. advantage of people. Yeah, and um, I was I was curious about that because obviously you were using leverage for in the way you're supposed to, but even in those situations. Um, you know, it, it, there are situations where it doesn't work out. And so do you find yourself even, and probably more cautious, I'm, I'm sure you're at least more cautious now of feeling like, you know, there's a, there's sort of a level of leverage that you're comfortable with and not wanting to do more than that. 
well, regardless of what I feel for almost a decade, no one would loan me any money anyway. So, <laughs> so I didn't have much of a chance to leverage. There you go. There you go. Uh, leverage anything. So I'm very unlevered right now. I have very little debt uh, personally and in my businesses, very, very little debt. Um, but, you know, that's uh, my credit. You know, funny, you know, that all happened 15 years ago, um, 14 years ago. And but, you know, it was with me some of those cards and, and debts kind of didn't, weren't like, okay, this guy's not going to pay. They weren't charged off or, or reported as delinquent for several years. But either way, at this point, you know, my credits, they're all gone. And my credit score is, you know, in the well into the 700s. Yeah, I have excellent credit, which is really funny. And I work for a company called Declan. So why right. anyone would make me a loan today, I'm not sure, but some of the <laughs> banks do. <laughs> Yeah. And, and the irony there, too, is that, um, you know, you have a business also that people are, you know, they have bad debt and you don't want them necessarily not to pay their debt to your fund either. So you got to be careful. They don't reach your <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a slight conflict of interest. I'm kind of playing on both sides of that. But here's the thing. So that's a great point. I appreciate you bringing that up. So American Home and Preservation, uh, the the. The strategy there has always been to reach a consensual solution with the family. Uh, it hasn't been to squeeze every dime out of them who can. And I think that's where uh, debt cleanse is. The goal is not like with, if you have a mortgage, the goal is not to get a free house. I mean, I actually happened to almost do that with a free apartment building, um, but that is a rare occurrence, nothing you can count on. But most of the time you can find enough errors that you can get a good resolution, which will allow you to stay in the home if you, that's what you want with some affordable payment, maybe some reduced principal. Those are some of the benefits. Um, and so I think all these types of debt is to, to get to a, uh, a solution that's good for the both the creditor and the debtor. And I think HP does that. So as a result, you know, people shouldn't be, HP will give you the good deal up front. You don't have to litigate to get it. So you, you know, you've got this book um, that you wrote. It's a, it's a big book, uh, big fat book. It sure <laughs> um, is. <laughs> uh, and, and it's called Debt Cleanse, obviously named uh, the same name as your business. And we, we're going to link to it on the show notes and website, but it's, um, so it's thesis is a bit controversial, you know, I mean, it's really, uh, I think the central idea at the end of the day is, well, don't pay, right? And um, so so it sounds, I think, for most people who are, most people who get into a little bit of trouble, it sounds a little bit um, extreme. Do you want to talk a little bit about your philosophy in this? I mean, you talk about sort of, you know, wearing your, uh, poor credit uh, on your <laughs> sleeve and, you know, all the, all this kind of stuff that I think is pretty, um, again, it's, it's different, right? You don't hear people ever talk about this, but, um, but I, I found it fascinating. Could you talk a little bit about, uh, sort of your approach? Sure. So the theory and its reality is that, uh, the best way to gain leverage over creditors is to stop paying. Uh, you know, you can't say, if you call the bank and say, hey, I'm making my payments, but in a couple of months, I don't think I'll be able to make them anymore. Can you modify the loan? It's just never going to happen. Uh, and in most cases, they think that the the debtor is so um, concerned about messing up their credit that they're going to make the payments. So, but when you stop paying, all of a sudden, okay, wait, wait, wait. It usually moves to a different department. Let's kind of work this thing out. And and that is where you gain leverage. And also that's where the, the lenders start making mistakes. They may have made mistakes throughout, but especially once you're behind, 
know, they can miss deadlines. They can uh, send notices out too early, too late. They start making collection calls. They can call you too early in the day, too late in the night. Uh, all those things, it's just, it's ripe for errors. And that is, uh, that's your opportunity. So here's what, to step back, here's kind of the greater, um, the greater thesis is that if you, if a consumer or a small business owner today recognizes that at some point in the future, in the next six months, I'm not going to be able to keep up with all this stuff. It's much better to proactively stop paying your debts today. And when you stop paying it, stop paying them all. Um, as opposed to what most people do, including me when I had this situation. When I started running behind, I, I didn't have enough money to pay all my debts. So each month I pay a little bit here, a little bit there, and kind of trying to keep, keep them all like at bay, hoping that they don't sue me. Um, but what that did, it just took the resources that I did have, the money that I had then, and it kind of spread it out and, uh, and made me weaker and weaker and weaker. And eventually I was in the point where I was, I financially collapsed and I had no money to pay anybody. And now I didn't even have no money to pay attorneys, to settle debts at discounts. I just couldn't do anything. So I urge your listeners, uh, if they feel that they or a friend or family member, business owner they know is in that predicament is to proactively stop paying, set the money that you have aside. Now you have money to pay attorneys who can help and you also have money to settle the debts at a discounts if, uh, if, it, if and when it makes sense for, for you. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, it's totally a, an eye opener, I think, because I don't think that again, most people, um, first of all, I think people who, most of the time when they get into trouble, um, you know, they have no idea what to do. Um, and if they do something, it's usually, you know, some sort of bankruptcy or something like that. But it is a really interesting, I guess, uh, lesson learned that you've kind of shared. Um, who, so, so talk a little bit about the business debt cleanse. What is, so how do you, how do you work? Sure. So I'm going to step back just a moment, just a minute as to where Debt Cleanse, it started. And because when I started AHP, I kind of knew the concepts and I applied them as I, as I built AHP. But we would buy pools of mortgages from banks and then go to those homeowners and, and say, hey, we bought your loan at a discount. We wouldn't say that, but we said, hey, we can offer you a discounted settlement. You know, you could reduce your payment, reduce your principal. Uh, settle and settle your delinquency for a big discount. So we would help people. And then they were, uh, their friends and family, they tell their friends and family, hey, I got this great deal on my mortgage. And they call us and say, hey, AHP, can you buy my mortgage too? And I, I certainly understand that, but I don't own your mortgage, so I can't help you. So we felt kind of bad, a little bit like, God, we wish we could help these people. So I came up with a few bullet points as what to do if you can't afford your mortgage. Uh, these are a few steps that you can take in order to maximize the likelihood that at one point your loan is sold to a debt buyer, not necessarily HP, but somebody at a discount and they can share that discount with you. Uh, so that was the theory. And one of the, the big step one is to just stop paying. Uh, if they hadn't already paid, most of them had already stopped paying. Um, so we did that. And, uh, but then we got a lot of requests. And then somebody was like, what about my student loan? And so I, was, I finally decided to write a book, which is Debt Cleanse, How to Settle Your Unaffordable Debts for Pennies on the Dollar and Not Pay Some at All. And in it, there's a step-by-step -step process for each type of debt, be it a student loan, a payday loan, a mortgage, a vehicle loan, a, uh, a business loan, all types of debt, credit cards, uh, 
there's a step-by-step process for each. And so I said, okay, I put out the book and I thought, okay, this is going to address the issues of all these other people whose loans AHP does not buy. But, you know, as soon as you solve one problem, typically another one appears. Uh, so on this one, people started reaching out to me by email and social media and they'd, they'd say, hey, I'm, I'm following the steps in the book, but I've got to the point where I need an attorney. And I am in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm in Los Angeles, California. I'm in Miami, Florida. And so I get these requests and I'm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, I have no idea how to help these people because when I was in trouble and I went to attorneys, there were some that were helpful and there were others that were very, very unhelpful. They really didn't know what they were doing. And, and some of them just had, were kind of offended by the fact that I hadn't paid. I remember one attorney I went to, he asked me a couple of questions, said, hey, did you sign the papers? And I said, yes. Did you get the money? Yes. Well, then you got to pay it back. I said, okay, well, if I don't have the money to pay back, that's really unhelpful advice. Right. Uh, so it didn't help. So the vision became, how do I train a network of attorneys across our country in every state? And so, and then I create a platform to connect debtors, uh, consumers and small business owners who are struggling with their debts with these attorneys that are now empowered with these strategies. And so that's basically what Debt Cleanse Group Legal Services is. We've created a platform where consumers and small business owners who cannot afford their debts uh, can connect with this network of attorneys. And they get a few things every month. You know, the, 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 the charge is $29 a month for consumers, $49 a month for small business owners, and they get a half an hour consultation each month with an attorney licensed in their state. They get a 10-page document review, and if they engage the attorney, they get a 25% discount off the attorney's rates. And I'll tell you, a lot of these attorneys are working for, you know, $100, uh, $100 an hour, $150 an hour, $200 an hour. They're definitely, one attorney's working for $50 an hour. And so there's a lot of attorneys that are working for very affordable rates. Lots of times, not only are they applying the 25% discount, but they are um, going even less than that on their regular rate just to attract, A, because they're sympathetic to the cause and uh, they want to help people. Yeah, and it's interesting too. We were talking a little bit offline about this. Um, you know, from the perspective of of what you know what you're trying to accomplish here. Um, you know, going to a five or six hundred dollar an hour attorney versus a hundred dollar an hour attorney um, really doesn't get you five times the talent, right? I mean, you most of the time you end up with somebody who's probably not interested or used to dealing with, you know, debt types of issues, unless it's a big corporate debt issue, and they just end up charging you a whole lot more. But what you've created, I think is interesting is that you're the one who's really, I mean, you're not an attorney, but you're really, you've studied this stuff so much that you're actually going to, you're teaching these people all the nuances because you've kind of been you know, in that fist fight before, you know, all the, you know, all what's going on. And a lot of these uh, attorneys, even if they're, you know, super expensive, high powered, quote unquote, high powered attorneys, they've not, they only know it at a theoretical level. 
Absolutely agreed. What the strategies that we um, we share are not taught in law school. Uh, in fact, uh, yeah, it's almost like street fights. And so these these really well-heeled attorneys are not good at street fights. In fact, lots of times they're the ones representing the banks. And when you're these little needlesome, you know, attor uh, attorney and consumer or small business owner who's kind of kicking at their at their feet and finding their problems and calling them on them, it really becomes uh, you become a nuisance and. I mean, let me share a statistic. In, in this country, for every 100 credit card lawsuits that are filed, 93 of the people that are the defendants will not even answer the lawsuit. They, realize, they think that they, they know they got the money, they know they use the credit card, and so they just think there's no way that I'm going to win in court. And so they let it go to default, and then, you know, a couple weeks, a couple months later, they're getting their wages garnished, their bank account levied, uh, any properties being liened. But the 7%, the people that answer the lawsuits, and especially with our methods, that then they find any problems that the creditor made, they're getting calls. At some point, the, the creditor or their attorney is calling the debt client's attorney saying, hey, you know, what does your client want? Let's make a deal. And, uh, and that is really the, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it really is the way to gain leverage by being the exception. Think about it. You're having these uh, these debts just go down this kind of conveyor belt of through the process, but once they they connect with debt cleanse, the debt cleanse attorney kind of falls off the conveyor belt, and now it's stuck, and and there needs to be some kind of customized resolution, and that's what we force. It becomes costly for the bank or the creditor to fight it, and uh, and and it makes sense for them just to take a make a deal. So with with regard to credit cards, and I know again reading your reading you know some of your book. I was kind of um, amazed at, you know, I think the, I think you said somewhere like it was the average settlement on a credit card default is something like, was it like seven or eight cents on the dollar or was it like maybe four cents on the dollar or something like that? Well, what is it? Yeah, no, you're right. It's a uh, federal, federal trade commission study, which uh, studied debt buyers and the average credit card debt sold for four cents on the dollar, four cents on the dollar. And when you guys are doing this, is when when you guys um, have your debt cleanse attorneys, or is that kind of what you're seeing? Or are you seeing a little bit more than that because you're actually um, trying to settle it as opposed to something that's defaulted and you know can't be recovered um, anyway? Yeah, so we're definitely uh, seeing settlements that are larger than that, but they're not. You know, we're trying to get on credit cards. You know, if, if we can find problems, it can be in the ten twenty cent range. Um, and so really severe discount. Now, you know, one thing that um, it takes patience uh, to, get to, to get numbers like that. They're not going to happen in like in the first six months or a year. It's sometimes it has to go from, and I think that's where the four cents number comes from. Lots of times, you know, you don't pay American Express. They sell it to a debt buyer or a signature collection agency. And then, um, you know, they'll try for six months or a year. Then it's sold. And they'll try for six months or a year, then it's sold again. And each time it's sold, it gets sold per, for progressively lower and lower amounts. Uh, and so eventually, there's a point at which, A, you may never pay it, um, or you'll, you'll settle for some massive discount. Right. Well, um, the, the, the last thing I want to point out is that, um, you know, these, these issues are not just affecting people who are, you know, poor, it's affecting people with money, people who are more affluent, they get into trouble. And if they, you know, if, if they can't get out of it, it could take them down completely, right? Everything else they have because of one mistake or one 
uh, one type of situation. When you have, in terms of your debt cleanse business, what kind of clientele are you seeing? Are you seeing primary, you know, sort of, are you seeing a mix of demographics? Yeah, absolutely. It's a mix of demographics, all income levels. I mean, the ones, people who have very limited means, very limited assets, I mean, they may be better off filing a chapter seven. Um, and so that may not be, this may not be the ideal situation, but as soon as you move up the um, pay rung or the income and um, an asset ladder, and for instance, someone who would, uh, couldn't file a chapter seven, but would need to file a chapter 13, absolutely, in my mind, debt cleanse is a better solution uh, for that person that's in trouble with their debt and, and on up the income levels. I mean, what surprised me a little bit in the early couple of months of debt cleanse is how many small business owners we're getting. And these are people who are coming to us and, Hey, I have millions of dollars in debt. Uh, and I say, wow, this is, um, I didn't know. I mean, I knew there are people out there that are in trouble with debt, but it's been a higher small business owners and entrepreneurs who are in trouble with, with large size debts, but a lot of them are ending up, uh, ending up here. Yeah, that's fantastic. So um, the site, is it debtcleanse.com? That's it. Debtcleanse.com. And the book, Debt Cleanse, um, if you're looking for some summer reading, of course, George also wrote Burn Zones, which uh, probably a lot of people listening to this podcast have read, which outlines his, his you know, his whole rise and, and ultimately the, um, you know, the fall that he described in, in, in multifamily real estate. Um, but where can we get the debt cleanse book? I mean, sure. It's uh, it's debt cleanse book, uh, is on Amazon. It's on, um, audible. You can buy it at Walmart. You can buy it at Barnes and Noble. So it's actually, um, available on a number of different, um, outlets. It's on Apple. Um, so any of those outlets, uh, I urge you to, uh, to pick up a copy, especially whether if you're in debt, absolutely. If you have a friend or family member or someone you know that's in debt, I think it's a great gift. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good point because, again, a lot of people here are going, well, I'm not in debt, but this is an interesting conversation. A lot of people around you, I uh, guarantee you're going to have people around you who will get into some trouble. And it might be worth mentioning this because these are some really unique strategies that I think were pretty eye-opening and frankly, just financially, just uh, fascinating to me. So anyway, George, I uh, want to thank you again for making it number four. And I'm sure we'll have you on uh, soon, probably for an, a new, the newest business. Absolutely. I appreciate that, Buck. And I wish you well with your podcast. It's great to see how much it's grown. So kudos on your success. Thanks, George. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I just, it's always a delightful uh, time to have George Newberry back on the show. He is a guy who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, I just want to take a few moments also here just to remind you again uh, to mark your calendar for our next Wealth Formula event. Looks like September 27th and 28th in Dallas. Uh, mark it on your calendar. We're going to cap the event again, probably between 100 and 120 people. So when we have the official announcement, don't uh, don't wait long because we got filled up pretty quick. A lot of people didn't get to come. Uh, also, just want to remind you again that if you want to get more involved with Wealth Formula, consider joining Wealth Formula Network. Wealth Formula Network, of course, is our inner circle. And Wealth Formula Network, uh, you can sign up for it at wealthformularoadmap.com. But basically what it is, is it's course, and a course with some very smart people in it, uh, talking about 
real estate and taxes like Ken McElroy and Tom Wheelwright. And then we also have uh, a private Facebook group that becomes part of that experience. The private Facebook group is you. It is investors who are really into this stuff. Uh, we also do bi-weekly Zoom video conference calls for our mastermind. So it is, uh, it's pretty involved. And so if you like to geek out on personal finance uh, and your, you know, your wife, your family, your neighbors don't want to do it with you, join us. A bunch of outcasts talking about personal finance every other Wednesday. Uh, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.